Oh, what a day! What a lovely day! <laughs> Welcome to the Mad Max Minute Podcast, the daily podcast where we break down Mad Max one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we are talking about Minute 45, which begins with Goose starting to drive back to the Halls of Justice, and it ends with the Ute careening off the road. Happy Friday, Julia. Friday! Yay! Not only is it Friday, but it is the absolute last day of March, which means that Tomorrow, Saturday, is April Fool's Day, which means, shucks, we don't get to do an April Fool's Day episode. Oh, what a shame. What a shame. (laughs) Instead, we get to talk about Goose hopping in his friend's truck and starting to drive back to the office. Yes. We kind of got a cutoff line yesterday. Uh, Midge, of course, asked Goose if he was okay, and Goose replies with, couldn't be writer. And then he, he has this little personal mantra, I guess, of his. Where he says, Jimmy the Goose, larger than life and twice as ugly. And that is his rally cry as he starts to drive away. Um, What do you think of his little catchphrase there? I think that it makes perfect sense. Because Goose has gigantic ego. (laughs) But, But he uses his gigantic ego in good ways. Right. I think we mentioned it sometime during this week mentioned how things his life is very black and white either he's alive or he's dead and he's alive so he's happy and he's happy as long as he's not dead so he just had this accident and wrecked his bike and he is chipper as all get out Mm -hmm. and that's perfect yep and it's got that that perfect little bit of self-deprecating humor enough that it doesn't completely excuse how pompous he can be (laughs) But at the same time, it makes it easier to swallow. And I'm trying to think back to other times when he's been pompous. Has he had a little bit of that self-deprecation? I don't think so. Nothing springs to mind. Nothing comes to mind. If it happened, it didn't make enough of an impression for us to recall it at this time. Yeah. So I I feel like this is the first time we've seen this particular side of him. Mm -hmm. Where, yes, his ego is rearing its head, but also this other side where he like realizes he's human and should be grateful to be alive. Yeah. And I mean, he's only human, so he's not literally larger than life. But at the same time, he's not necessarily like an ugly individual. Like, he's got some good looks to him. Granted, you don't like blonde men, but at the same time, when you ignore that, he's not bad looking. No. And so, this whole little larger than life and twice as ugly, yeah, it's kind of balancing that hyperbole with the self-deprecation with, you know, trying to be funny for his friend and whatnot, but... It adds to his charm. Yeah, yeah, it does, it does. It does. And it's the last thing he says before he, you know, starts driving away. And both of us noted that he kind of partially puts on his seatbelt. Oh, I wouldn't even say partially. He, like, pretends to pull it up one arm because it's actually, like, a harness. Yeah. And we see it a little bit better later on because even though it's not in this scene, he does put it on proper. Mm -hmm. So he could not have put it on the way that he pretends to try to in this moment hmm. you it's not the type of seatbelt that you can just like pull it up over one arm like he has to undo the clasp and pull it up over both shoulders and then do it up in the front like a backpack yeah and he, he 
I don't even know why they bothered. Well, you can kind of tell as he's throwing it over his one that one shoulder that like pieces of his uniform are kind of getting in the way of him actually like getting the straps on proper. So mm-hmm. in one of the parts of him driving that we don't see, he must have, you know, taken the time to like, you know, reach one arm back, get it on, reach the other arm back, get it on. Because you're right. Tomorrow and the day after, we're going to see him wearing that whole harness. But in the time that he wanted to use to say goodbye to Midge, he just kind of not even half put it on. He right. just kind of made the made it look like he was going to put it on. Yeah. But it's interesting that you should bring up that it's a five-point harness because there's other details on that ute that make it seem much more rugged than your normal everyday mm-hmm. streetcar. Um, for one thing, there is a water line above the window. Yeah. And the whole thing is just falling apart. So I think the reason they have a water line drawn on the side of the truck is because it's probably got some sort of air intake snorkel so that when Midge goes off-roading and mudding through the bush and comes across a river, he can, he knows, okay, based on the line that he drew on the side of his truck, that he can't go any deeper than that line because the snorkel (laughs) will get... Then two inches below the top of the truck. <laughs> um, it also reminded me um, of a book that I love. It's called In the Wet, which I now... I don't think I don't think you've told me about this one yet. No, it just occurred to me just now. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so it's by an author, uh, Neville Shute. Classic. Yes, which is also the author who wrote A Town Like Alice, who has Steve Bisley yep. in it, which we were that that movie is in the back of our minds for later on. So Neville Shute, uh, he writes mostly like British Australia stuff. Okay. So settings in Britain and Australia. In the Wet is a story that takes place during the wet season in Australia. Parts of Australia have seasonal flooding and it's major. Mm-hmm. And... That's what I thought of when I saw the waterline, that seasonal flooding that act, that went up that high. I can totally picture... So I can picture both scenarios. Yeah. Midge having all this seasonal flooding, he's got his house sealed up, or maybe even it's leaking just best. So he goes out there with a canoe and just kind of like scores on the truck how high uh, the water was. Yeah. Just to commemorate that particular flood. Like, it totally makes sense. I, I could I could see it happening. But whatever previously happened to that truck, like, it is beat up in every sense of the word. Like, there's no hood. I don't even think it has think, headlights. No, I think it, it's missing its, like, front grille. Yep. And we get a really good look at the front of it in the next bit mm-hmm. when he's coming down the road. Yeah, and oh. I was about to say, Goose does not drive it very carefully either. No! <laughs> So when you borrow somebody's car, like, you show your friend respect and friendship by driving their car nicely, at least when they're looking at you. Yeah, but when he pulled out, like, you could hear the tires squealing as yeah. he was actually, you know, in the time that he was on pavement before right, he went back he off the road. because he completely off-roading oh. to flip the Yui. <laughs> but that's so, I mean, that's very goose. It is very goose. And I think it's also very... The community that they're in. Mm -hmm. He knows Midge. The condition of the truck tells us something about how Midge uses it. And Goose knows that and drives accordingly, I guess. Yeah, there's a level of familiarity with that vehicle Mm -hmm. that kind of tells me more about their pre-existing relationship. Yeah. You know, how long they've been friends. That He's that comfortable driving it that way while Midge is still around. Yes. So, like you said, we get a really good shot of the front of the car in the next... You know, shot that we get 
<laughs> I keep using words over and over again. Anyway, as Goose is driving down the road, and he is, we assume, heading back to MFP headquarters. Because where else would he go? He's got the wrecked bike in the back. He's got to bring it somewhere. And he's probably just bringing it back to the garage so Barry can fix it up. Yep. What stood out to me is the fact that it doesn't seem like he tried to contact MFP for someone to come get him. But then, springboarding off of that idea, perhaps he did contact the MFP and tell them, don't send someone to get me. I got it all under control. I got my, my... Don't send anybody to get me. I've got it all under control. I've got a truck I can borrow from my buddy Midge. I'm going to head back. You know, shouldn't take me more than X amount of time. Because that seems like the thing that Goose would do. Don't worry, I got everything under control. I'll be home soon. Yes. It it does seem a very, like, kind of country mentality where Mm -hmm. you just... You do what you got to do. You take care of yourself and you, yeah, your your friends are there to help you out. And yeah, just get it done. You don't need to be rescued. You rescue yourself. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea of him calling them and telling them not to worry, I feel like is going to play into, um, I think it's like next Tuesday at the very end of the minute. Because, you know, someone comes get, comes and gets him eventually. And I think if he had it pre-established that he's supposed to arrive back at headquarters at a certain time, that would spawn someone going out to get him when he doesn't show up at the appointed time. Yeah. Like, it makes sense to me mm-hmm. that way. So as he's driving back to what we assume is MFP headquarters, Goose is in a very good mood. Mm-hmm. Especially considering he just wrecked his bike. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine you, if you wrecked your bike, you would not be in a good mood oh no no i mean granted and you're pretty easy going i am pretty easy going but but if i wrecked my personal motorcycle i would be a whole lot more upset than if i wrecked a motorcycle that was owned by my work good point you know i mean granted we're assuming that my work would buy me a motorcycle which they never would but that's a tangent for another day um I think his emotional detachment from that specific motorcycle definitely helps him be in a good mood. But like we said earlier, you know, he's alive, so he's happy. Like, yeah. what does he have to worry about? Right. As long as he's breathing and able to move around. Yep. So he's singing this song. Yep. I love it. So I was trying to find what he was singing. And my first stop was the forums of MadMaxMovies.com. And I found one forum in particular where... I think it took me about until the second page before I was really able to pick out exactly what song it was. And then I jumped over to YouTube and I found it way faster. I should have gone to YouTube first thing. Um, I mean, granted, it was easier to find it once I actually had the name of the song, which it's just an old, like, Boy Scout-ish Bush song. Yeah, it sounds like the kind of song we would learn at camp. Yeah, it's just called Banjo Song. I found the lyrics to, like, this one verse. Are you going to sing it for us? Um, so I found it on dragon.sleepdeprived.ca slash songbook. <laughs> Stop looking at me that way. <laughs> um, so the words are... Sing it. Well, see, here's... Uh, I'm nervous, too, because there's a, there's a melody that he sings, and then there's a melody that I've heard other people sing it. I don't think there's one true way to sing it, so it's going to sound bad because it's not going to be the exact tune that, you know... You, listener, may have grown up hearing it, but it is what it is. So sit back, grab some cotton balls in case your ears start bleeding, I guess. So the words without the lolas thrown in are, I used to have an old banjo that rested on my knee, but now the strings are broken down. It's no more use to me. 
I took it to the mender shop to see what he could do. He said the strings are broken down. It's no more use to you. So the idea is that's verse one. So okay. you sing that. And then every time you go back to sing it again, because it's a camp song, you sing these things over and over again. The trick is every time you run into a vowel that is emphasized, you add kind of a la sound. So as we hear Goose singing it, Instead of um, saying banjo, he says banjo or something like that. That sounds really hard. Oh, yeah. And I mean, when you watch him sing it, it's like, you know, he's practiced at it. Yes. I think he either grew up with it or one of the crew members taught it to him. I can't remember which exactly it is because I read a couple of different things. But like you can tell that he's practiced at it. Yeah. That he's got the he's got the cadence down. Mm-hmm. He knows exactly when to throw it in there. And I found a video on YouTube of like someone's aunt Jenny, and she's had a couple of drinks, and they're pressuring her, "Sing the song, Aunt Jenny. Sing it. Sing it like you <laughs> used to." And she's like, "I don't want to sing it. I don't want to sing it." And eventually, she just it takes her about a minute and a half in the video before she finally just says, "Okay, fine." And so she sings it, and it's exactly like Goose does, where she throws in the lullabies and. It is just the funniest little thing. Um, And it's spot on. Like, this is exactly what it is. Because I read on the forum that, like, some people thought it was another song. Some people thought it was to a different tune entirely. But no, it's it's the banjo song. And it is ridiculous and excellent. And he's having a lot of fun singing it. Yeah, I'm jealous. I wish that this song were one of the camp songs that I grew up with. Oh, because you know, if you get a group of people, you know... A group of people that like to sing around the campfire, campfire that you would set them up with this and there would be so many people trying to keep trying to do it seriously. Yeah. And then there would be other people that would try and fail and start cracking up. Uh-huh. And then that would throw off the people that are trying to be serious, but they're going to try really hard just to stick it out. And that sounds like fun. It does sound like a lot of fun. It makes me miss camp. The friends we camp with don't sing. No, we're we're not a... We're not a singing camping group. We're a drinking camping group. (laughs) (laughs) The nice thing about the woods is that when I get sick, I can just... The world. (laughs) The world is open to me. (laughs) (laughs) I can just wander into the woods and take care of business. Yes, you can. (laughs) Come back to camp. Wipe my mouth off and be good to go. Oh, gross. Okay. (laughs) So we get a quick cut that I mentioned earlier. The whole idea of... You know, time is passing as the ute speeds by some power lines or something like that. And as I saw this indication of the passage of time, it kind of made me wonder. It's like, so Goose heads off in the morning without really checking in because he just hops on the bike and goes. Mm -hmm. And then they just never hear from him, like at all during the day until, assumedly, he contacts them that the bike went off the road and whatnot. And so I kind of wonder if MFP headquarters had decided, okay, we're going to put a bit of an APB, not necessarily a all points bulletin, bring him in immediately. But, you know, if you see the goose, tell him to turn on his radio. Right. Maybe a bit more passive than than active. Like, hey, keep an eye out. Because I imagine this wasn't an isolated incident. No. He's shown signs the entire movie of being irresponsible. So I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure they weren't surprised by any of his behavior. I don't want to, like, call him a bad employee, but at the same time, he just goes AWOL. I mean... (laughs) He'll go off on a joyride. 
in the middle of the day. His job, you know, requires a bit more responsibility yeah. than, like, you or I. I mean, if I didn't show up to work, there's a chance my boss wouldn't even notice. Yeah, it's not so it's much the case for me. It's out of sight, me, but... out of mind. They may not even notice. Yeah, I mean... Dep- and if they did, they would just text me. Yeah, if I didn't show up on a on any given day, you know... Oh, the people world would, would fall apart. People would lose their minds. Yes. I have... I have what I like to call job security <laughs> that may or may not be personally manufactured. Yep. I don't want to come right out. I don't right care out. how it's manufactured. I don't want to come right out and say that I don't tell certain people certain things just to make sure that I'm I'm needed, but I'd be lying if I said I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but his job, like where he is and what he's doing and what condition he is, is in is important. Exactly. And he just, I mean, from the previous night, mm. he's been AWOL for a very long time now. Yeah, we threw out that instance where, like, someone could have been getting murdered two streets over. Right. And he's in the club throwing back drinks and smoking. Yep. Like, he's not in a condition to police. <laughs> not at all. I mean, and he's not going to be in a position to police for that. For, for much longer because ever again. because we get a shot of Johnny running up like an embankment of some kind. And uh, so we see him running up. We get a quick shot, a close-up of him climbing the thing. And as he gets to the top of this embankment, we can see the ute coming down the road. And I have issues with this scene. I was just about to say this scene is kind of BS. <laughs> <laughs> Total BS. Like everything about this scene is crap. Yeah. So first and foremost... Most importantly. The most important question is how did Johnny know that the motorcycle crash didn't kill or disable Goose? That Goose had found another mode of transportation and was in the truck and that the truck was coming. Yep. I just, that's a lot of information for time before cell phones. Yeah, and we get... I mean, if that scene had happened today, no problem. I wouldn't question it at all. Mm Mm-hmm. But... No, no. Yeah. There's no. no explanation for how. And it's not just Johnny. Like, Toe yeah, Cutter and Bubba alone. are there, too. So, I guess it's possible that since the three of them are obviously in cahoots, that one of them was following Goose. But everything is so wide open. Goose would have seen him. Exactly. Midge we would have seen, seen them. We would have seen them. So, no. No, no, no. That's not... I, I throw that out as a possibility. Yeah. We get so many shots. Like... Wide open, we can see all sorts of space. In the ride out from the mm-hmm. city into the country, yep. we get so many shots of Goose being alone. And it is obvious from what the movie is telling us that he is alone. Yes. I just had an idea. What's the... what? what, 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 what? Midge. Do you think Midge betrayed him? It's possible. There's no other in-universe explanation than Midge ratted him out no i know i but know Mitch is I the good one i i don't want to believe it he's like the only decent human being but we see we have seen before characters. and we will see again how convincing and threatening and intimidating toe cutter can be oh so if toe cutter got to midge no first, i don't want to know i don't want to oh my gosh yeah because if if Johnny and Toe Cutter and Bubba got to where the bike went off the road, like if they were retracing his steps, they would have found that the bike wasn't there. They would have probably found Midge. Oh, no. No, not Midge. It's a possibility. 
Oh, he's probably dead. Probably. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, he's so dead. There's yep. a reason we never see him again. There's a reason we never see him again. Oh, and then he probably under, like, torture. Mm-hmm. No. Yep. I don't feel so good anymore. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that hurts. <laughs> I ruined your entire weekend. You kind of did. <laughs> God. <sighs> so... I need to I need to get off of this whole Midge being tortured into betraying Goose thing. So, okay, this scene. Mm-hmm. There's I have, more wrong with it. I have a location for it. Okay. Let's talk about the location before we go back into what's wrong with it. So this sequence was filmed on Bridge Inn Road in Mernda, Victoria, somewhere between Cravens Road and Sackville Street. I found a, a nice handy little map on MadMaxMovies.com that really lays it out plain. And the interesting thing about this area is that that embankment that they're standing on is pretty much an old quarry that used to be there. They were collecting the rocks and mining them and doing whatever you do with stone. And so this huge pile that they're standing on top of isn't just some hill. Like, it's a hill that they are slowly scraping away, which is why it looks like a giant pile of gravel. So... You won't actually see this whole picturesque view if you go back there and check it out. Because after they finished mining, quarrying out that area, they actually took the road and they just made it straight because it used to curve out around the quarry. And interestingly enough, if you go there today, based on what I've seen from street view things from like 2002 or something like that you can kind of see based on where the power lines are like where the street used to be but the actual spot where the the truck goes off the road spoiler alert for like five minutes from now um real time not movie time the spot where the ute goes off the road is now the mernda campus of gilson college which is like a primary slash secondary school run by the seventh day adventists and so i'm willing to bet that the uh the faculty don't like to tell the kids that on the spot where they're going to this Seventh-day Adventist school that there was a movie that filmed the guy burning alive inside a pickup truck. <laughs> no. I like you mentioned that you can kind of see where the old road used to be. And it reminds me, I have two examples, and both of them are kind of, it's creepy. Yeah. So, back in the town that I grew up in, in Connecticut, there is a... Um, a large reservoir and there's a road that beelines like straight through it and in the summer when the reservoir is low you can see the old road like next to it Hmm. and you can see parts of it like dipping down into the water and it's very creepy Hmm. like in a wonderful way i used to drive on that road just to see like the old road next to it yeah in the water wonderfully creepy and then the other example is Route 111, mm-hmm. where it used to it used to go like out and around, mm-hmm. and now it does the same thing. Now it beelines straight for where it's going, and you can see like in the tree lines, you can see there's a gap. That's exactly where the old road was. Yeah, yeah. So just a a taste of geography where we are. There is a state uh, road called Route 111 that kind of goes from the coast further inland through a big uh, commercial area. There's a theme park there and then it kind of 
continues off west through the state. And for the longest time, this, you know, two-lane state road went down through a neighborhood and the road got really narrow and it was super congested because everyone was trying to get into that commercial area. And eventually the residents, because this was a nice area, there was a small pond, so there were beachfront houses and things like that. And they got so fed up with all of the heavy traffic and the state got so fed up with everyone being held up that, yeah, they just built a road around cut through the rock, the other side of the pond, cut right through the rock. And it's funny because you look at the street view of this area and because of how they quarried it out, it looks exactly like the highways do in our neck of the woods mm-hmm. where they cut through the mountain. And you so you've got this nice sheer rock face yep. right up next to the road. It kind of kind of reminded me of home as I was watching yeah. as I was looking <laughs> doing all this research. So back into the minute, and this is the part where we start to have another problem with this scene because Johnny gets to the top and he's holding this brake drum, and he gets to the top of the the ridge, and the truck is coming, and he just heaves it very, towards the truck, very unplanned. Mm-hmm. Like he runs up the hill, and it's the second he gets up there, he he throws it. He didn't like time it. You know, he didn't get to the top and go, okay, one, two, three, go. Nope, he just tosses the thing. Yeah. Now, because we watch these minutes so meticulously, (laughs) it is painfully obvious to us that there is no way on God's green earth that that drum is going to actually hit that pickup truck. (laughs) That is true. And now that I have analyzed and scrutinized... This minute, I can't ever unsee that. Mm -hmm. But for somebody who's just watching the movie, it's a good throw. Yeah, because... If you're just watching casually, it looks good. Because if you look at the trajectory and the arc that it takes, first of all, it's going to land like in front of the truck. It's not going to hit the windshield. It's not even going to hit the truck entirely. It's just going to clang on the ground in front of it, just based on where the truck is and where the drum is going. Yeah. And that's assuming that it even Makes reaches it the truck in the enough. first place. Yeah. Like, based on how hard he's throwing it, and like I said, where it's traveling, like, it's going to clatter on the side of the road. I think so. <laughs> so. Which, of course, is safe. Yeah. Because he really does throw that thing at the truck. You don't legitimately want to kill your actors when you're making a movie. That's usually bad form. It makes it really hard to make further movies because you'll be in jail for manslaughter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when they needed this brake drum to fly through the Ute's windshield, they achieved this by having Grant Page, the head of the stunt department, stand up on top of the Ute. So you've got... Steve by Steve Bisley driving the pickup truck. You've got Grant Page standing on top of the pickup truck, and he's got a rope in one hand to hold himself in place, and he's got the brake drum in the other hand. Meanwhile, you've got a couple of camera guys in the bed of the truck, and they're just watching through the back window. I appreciate that there are certain things that the the head of the department needs to take care of. Yeah. Now, keep in mind, this is the same Grant Page that was hit by a semi-truck right. oh and went gosh. to the hospital like, and had to broken, come back later. Broken ribs and he cut a cast off of himself. Like, like his was face was messed up for a shape. while. Yeah. And I now had he's, not made that connection. Yeah, and now he's standing head. on top of a pickup truck. But he just takes that drum and he just throws it through the windshield and we get this amazing shot. So that's actually Steve Bisley driving the pickup truck and we see... The drum come through kind of on the more passenger side. Yeah, but like nowhere near hitting him. Very, well, I was going to say very safe, but as safe as yeah. it can be. Because, like, it's just him, and suddenly there's broken glass 
everywhere. Yeah. And the only thing protecting him from that broken glass is what he's wearing and the steering wheel, which, you know, steering yeah. wheels aren't known for blocking shards of glass. It's not one of their qualities. Nope. I mean, he is wearing his, you know, proper leather jacket. Right. And his arm thingies. What are they called? Bracers. Yeah. Bracers. So at least he's still wearing that stuff. Although he's, is he wearing sunglasses? I think he's. I think, I think he's wearing. Sunglasses. He's wearing sunglasses, but you know, no other face protection. Exactly. He doesn't have his his helmet from his motorcycle with the little face blocky thing. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Look at me using my big technical terms, <laughs> face blocky thing. So because of the sudden brake drum flying through his window, mm. Goose essentially loses control of the vehicle and yeah. it goes off the road. I question the realistic reaction. I don't think it's realistic at all. Like based on what we've seen him do in other vehicles? Yeah, Goose has shown us a couple of times and has convinced me of his skill, of his incredible skill in bike riding. He, he The way he handles accidents and things going wrong has been phenomenal up to this point. He's saved his own life at least twice. Mm -hmm. So why now, all of a sudden, does he completely lose control? Like, I, I, okay, I would lose control mm -hmm. because I'm just a normal everyday driver and something smashing through my windshield that way would startle me and I would probably like swerve away from it. Like, oh, there's something over that direction. I'm going to go the other direction. That would probably be what I do and I would lose control because now you can't see out of your windshield go off the road. But he's better than that. He's a better driver than that. Mm -hmm. So, mm, my theory I'll buy it. is that Goose is better on two wheels than he necessarily is on four. Yes. Because we don't ever really see him driving any of the interceptors. He's always on the motorcycle. Yep. But I think the other thing that really excuses him to drive off the road is more just the fact that he had this giant piece of iron shatter his windshield. So he's got this foreign object coming into the car suddenly. Suddenly there's glass everywhere. Suddenly he's got all of this wind coming in on his face. So not only is he probably flinching a bit because of all the broken glass and piece of iron, but now he's getting buffeted by the wind. It's probably going to make it hard to concentrate on the road because, you know, like I said, that road used to curve. And so if he's, if he's flinching and is closing his eyes to protect from the grass, suddenly the road just turns out from underneath him. And of course, there is going to be some wheel turn. I think just... I can't imagine the truck has great alignment. Exactly. So if he lets go of the wheel, <laughs> who knows like, it where that would truck's be... going to go on its own. It would be very impressive to see anybody not go off the road. You think if so? If they had a brake drum thrown through their windshield. Okay. Like, I feel like you could take probably the best drivers in the world and throw a brake drum through their windshield and they would probably do right. the, but, the same thing. But who are the best drivers in the world? People who get trained by professionals. Yes, for... the stuntmen. <laughs> the stuntmen are the best drivers. No, I mean cops. They get... Cops get trained to yeah. drive like that, to handle things, and I'm using words mm. very poorly. I don't know. You got me caught up on the idea of cops being better drivers than stuntmen. Well... Because, okay, now... I think it's the stuntmen type people who teach cops how to drive defensively yeah. and offensively. So you... And I would assume... almost say... Because you can... You can tell by the way that the drivers of the interceptors, Max, Roop, I guess technically Charlie, but he didn't do a very good job. And then oh, Sars or... Sars and Scuttle. Scuttle's the one driving. Okay. Yeah. That they have had training on how to drive and using their car as a tool mm -hmm. for keeping law and order. 
well, why wouldn't Goose have that same training? Yeah. You could say that cops are the better drivers because while the stuntmen do a lot of these complicated maneuvers, cops do it out in uncontrolled environments. Yes. But you're absolutely right. It makes sense that if all the other MFP officers had that specific kind of training, that Goose would have also received the training. Um, But it kind of goes back to the fact that... We're living in kind of the near future. Mm-hmm. Like it might not be that they get organized training like that. They might just hire yeah. people based on a pre-existing ability. Yes. You know, they might have hired Goose because he was so good on the motorcycle. Going back to that joke about him being hired because he's good on a motorcycle. Yes. Because, um, yeah, I'm thinking about Roop with that shotgun way back mm-hmm. in minute or something yeah they didn't hire him because of his marksmanship ability. right and like he doesn't look like he had any training the ute goes off the road yeah and it's a pretty cool stunt because he goes off and then he rolls a couple of times and it's really well shot they just do a solid single take so you get to see the whole thing laid out in front of you so the person driving the ute in this specific scene is grant page so mm-hmm. he got down off the roof got in and he's got the helmet and the protective gear. And it's fun because if you watch this minute specifically focusing on the cab yes. through the broken windshield, you can see Grant Page wearing his helmet. And as soon as they goes, he goes off the road, he banks the wheel somehow that the truck will start rolling and he goes flat down on the, the seat. Yes. Like he assumes the, the safe position for <laughs> rolling the truck there. And it's very hard not to see Grant Page once you start looking for him. Yeah, it's one of those things where I, the first few times I watched, I'm like, there's nobody in the truck. How would they do that? And then you pointed out, well, here you can see Grant Page, like, yeah. the motion of laying down. I'm like, oh, now yeah. it's incredibly easy to see. And the crazy thing about things- this is that it didn't go as planned. They had a, a tipper ramp for Grant to go off of. Uh-huh. And then it would start the roll a lot sooner. But he missed it. <laughs> and so... He was able to get the truck to roll just like they wanted. But by the time he got to the point where they had predetermined that he was going to stop, he hadn't started rolling yet. And so the camera guys got really nervous that they were going to get, you know, flattened by this truck rolling down the side of the road. And luckily, just because of how the zoom lenses worked out, they got the shot and they didn't have to worry about shooting it again. And it worked out spectacularly so after the truck comes to a stop we get a quick shot of johnny running down the hill of the embankment we see toe cutter and bubba arrive on their motorcycles and then we get a quick shot of the ute lying upside down in the field and that kind of wraps up the minute for us today Mm -hmm. but before we go ahead of the the weekend we were thinking um Just because we don't really have anything planned for April Fool's Day weekend or anything like that. But we realized that because we just finished Minute 45, we're essentially halfway through the movie. Yes, we are halfway. So we've started to think about what we want to do once we finish the movie proper. Yes. There are only 93 minutes to this movie. So, you know, calculate that out for when it's going to end. But we want to take about three months. I think so. I think that's what we decided. Three, three months, months of hiatus time. It'll help us get a really good handle on Road Warrior. It'll help us set up some special things. But we don't want to leave you guys hanging. We want to do something in the hiatus time. What we'll do is we'll just cut it back to one episode a week. And we want to talk about other movies. You know, other things that kind of have that, you know, Australian 80s post-apocalyptic ish feel um we've already got a couple of things in mind for instance um 
We can watch the 1974 movie Stone, which kind of came before Mad Max, and a lot of people consider it like the precursor to the Mad Max series because it's got a lot of the same actors. It talks about motorcycle gangs. Um, There's also the 1980 movie Chain Reaction, which has a bunch of actors from this series in it. And going with the post-apocalyptic theme, it's not set in a desert, but it's still like a vast wasteland with vehicles in it. 1995's Waterworld, which I... (laughs) I love that movie. I have no reason to, based on like what critics say about it, but I just love that movie. It's, yeah, it's I it's got it's a, a lot fun of stuff movie. and things. It's very it's very Thunderdome ish in its aesthetic. Just replace the desert with water. Yes. Um and I was thinking I wanna do a town like Alice, which is directed by George Miller and also has Steve Bisley in it. Uh, and I also want to do Man from Snowy River. Yeah. So these are just a couple of the ideas that we've got mulling around. But listeners, if you have a good idea of something we can cover in the hiatus, you know, think of the people that are in this movie. Think of the actors. Think of the time period. Think of things that are more Australia-centric or maybe just feature heavily some of the characters, well, actors who play the characters that we've known to really get attached to. Um, So jump on our website and fill out the little contact form. You can contact us on Twitter, on Facebook. Facebook. Just give us some ideas, stuff that you would like to hear. We're going to do 12 hiatus episodes before we come back with Road Warrior. So we're going to try and just fill that out best we can. And the more suggestions we get, the more full our time can be. And anything we don't cover during the first hiatus, we've got two more hiatuses after that because we've got time between Road Warrior and Thunderdome, and we got time between Thunderdome and Fury Road. So Keep them coming. So, like I said, if you want to pass along things like that to us, our website is madmaxminute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at madmaxminute and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash madmaxminute. Thank you for joining us for Mad Max Minute number 45. We will see you on Monday. Motorbikes and men, take me to the edge.